You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. I have a message in my heart, and uh, this message has been in my heart during this week, and uh, I have titled it Rise Again. Rise Again is the title of my message this week. Uh, If we are to be honest with ourselves and uh, if we analyze our lives, if we take time to observe the flow and the rhythms of our lives, we will come to realize this. We will realize that life is not always linear, that the path that we're in is not always constant. It's not uh, always straight. It's not always an ascension. It's not always high. The trajectory of life has a rhythm. It has a flow, and sometimes it includes highs and includes lows. Sometimes there are mountaintop moments and there are valley moments. And if if we fail to understand this simple principle of the rhythms of life, or of how life sometimes is not always straight, sometimes you've got to go left, sometimes you've got to go right. If you fail to understand that, it can produce a lot of worry. It can produce a lot of anxiety. And when that becomes a constant factor in your life, when you're always worried, when you're always anxious, it's really hard for you to see a way out. And when it's hard for you to see a way out, it's hard for you to let hope in. So we need to understand that life has a rhythm because when you suffer a setback, when something unexpected happens, when, you know, some of your securities are not so secure any longer, When life is not necessarily the way it used to be, maybe the savings account are drying up. Maybe, you know, something happened at home that changed the dynamics of home life. Or maybe your job is not as fulfilling. We are tempted to dwell in it. And we begin to dwell in it more and more and more. And the more we dwell in it, the more we stress. The more we stress, the more anxious we get. And the process, the progression in our minds, in our thoughts... It it, it usually happens this way. It starts by you thinking about it. And and it's in your head. And then you think about it some more. And all of a sudden, you're thinking about it all the time. But at this stage, it's only in your head. You haven't let it out yet. And if you don't catch it, and if you don't practice some of the things that we're going to talk about here today, you have to let it out. You have to start talking to somebody. So you go to the person closest to you. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your sibling. Maybe it's a parent or a good friend. And you begin to in- introduce the subject and your worries and your anxieties here and there. And you talk about the subject here and there. The problem, the situation, the circumstance here and there. But then you go to the next level. Then it's all you want to talk about. It's all that is in your mind. Because it's all You talk about it all the time. You're supposed to be in a date with your spouse. Before the menu even comes out, you bring up the subject. Before you even order the food, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. I don't know how we're going to get past this. I don't know how we're going to solve this. Maybe you're supposed to be out with a friend, enjoying nature. Maybe you're supposed to be having some quality time. But you can't have quality time because all you can think about is the problem. How am I going to get away from this? How am I going to overcome this? Why did he say that? Why did she say that? 
You look at your friend and you say, did you hear the latest? Or maybe, you know, it's so uh, uh, strong, the offense or whatever it is that's stressing you is so strong that you, you turn inward and you go, how can I solve this? How am I going to get past this? Is she going to apologize? Is he ever coming back? Worry, uncertainty, questions have taken over and now you are spilling it. You're spilling it over and over and over because it's a constant in our lives. If we fail to realize that life has rhythms, we can get stuck in a season. And when you are in that progression, when you get to the point that that's all you talk about, what is happening underneath, there's something else happening underneath that sometimes we don't realize. We are beginning to turn inward. We're beginning to turn into ourselves. All we can talk about is our problem. All we can talk about is the thing that we are going through. Have you ever met somebody like that? A person that the first time that when they meet you, it's like, oh, let me tell you the latest. Let me tell you what just, oh, I didn't tell you what just happened. You know, you ask them, how are you? And how are you typically is a rhetorical question, right? How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm good. How is your family? Great. And it's a dialogue. You're supposed to build on it, right? You go and you build and like you share a little bit of information and you ask for a little bit of information. And that's how the dialogue progresses. But someone who's constantly anxious, constantly worried, someone who's spilling over, they can't wait until you finish the how are you. Have you ever met somebody like that? You say, how are you? Oh, let me tell you what's going on. Man, I didn't tell you what happened to me. I didn't tell you. Oh, wait until you listen to this. Oh, give me just 30 minutes. And you just nod. This is what you don't hear from that person. I've been thinking about you. How are you? How are you doing? And if we're not careful, we can fall into that trap. This is what constant worry can do. Constant worry can turn you into a bad friend. Constant worry can turn you, without you noticing, into bad company. Not that you're going to take somebody and do bad things to them, but you're just no fun to be around because you're constantly worried. Now, this is another thing that, that worry does too. Worry comes to you under the guise of responsibility. It masks itself as responsibility. I got to take care of business. I got to take care of this problem. I got to take care of this situation. But it's only a pseudo responsibility because what worry is really doing, it's redefining your identity. It, it changes the way you begin to see yourself. When you're constantly worried, constantly anxious, you begin to see your life as a problem. You begin to see your life and your circumstances as a puzzle to be solved. You got to figure out how to fix it. You got to figure out how to move on. You got to figure out how to go to the next level. You begin to see yourself as a mess to clean up. And all of a sudden, you begin to vocalize these things. My life is a problem. I have, all I have is problems. My life is a mess. It's all a mess. And what begins to happen is you are rewiring your identity. And underneath it all, you're beginning to see yourself differently. But here's the truth, and some of you, this is all you, what you need to hear this morning. Worry is a liar. Worry is a liar. It has never solved any problems. Worry comes to get you stuck, to paralyze you, where you can't move on. And sometimes we get stuck in a season that was meant to pass. 
Sometimes we get stuck in a situation that came to develop us, that came to build us, and it was meant to pass. It was a valley, but you were supposed to keep going through that valley. You were supposed to reach the next mountaintop. You were supposed to keep going through that low season. You were supposed to flow in the rhythm of your life, but you got stuck because worry just pulled you down and began to rewrite your image and the way you saw yourself. Maybe you're here this morning and you got caught. You got caught in the hurt. You got caught in the pain. You got caught in the offense. You got caught in that circumstance. You got caught in that bad break. You got caught. And worry has kept you there. You were supposed to have moved on, but you're still there. I'm here to tell you, it's time to rise again. It's time to rise again. It's your time to rise again. That's what happened to the people of Israel. The people of Israel was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon and he overtook Jerusalem. He overtook their kingdom and he exiled them from Jerusalem. He basically told them, you cannot live in Jerusalem anymore. He took them captive into Babylon and he destroyed the temple of Solomon. The Solomon temple was destroyed. A beautiful, beautiful temple that the people of Israel used to worship. And they lost everything. When they were taken into captivity, they lost everything. When I mean everything, I don't mean just possessions. They lost their country. They lost their government. They lost, they lost their sovereignty. They lost everything. They lost their place of worship, their place of community with God. And for 48 years, for 48 years, they were forbidden from going back to Jerusalem. For 48 years, they were held in captivity, hoping, crying, asking God that that valley would end. Asking God to, that God would restore them to Jerusalem, that God would restore them. And they wanted to build a temple because the temple, if you know, the temple was intrinsically connected to their worship. See, the nation of Israel wasn't necessarily a piece of land. It's not, even today. The nation of Israel is entirely based in form and founded on the Torah, the law of God. And the law of God operates with the temple because of the sacrifice and the worship and the prayer. It's how they operated. So their, their heart was yearning to rebuild the temple because the temple stood as the dwelling place of God among their people. Israel without a temple was their God. It meant that their God was homeless. And they couldn't live with the thought of not having a dwelling place for the God of Israel, the God of all universe, to be amongst them. And so they cried. They asked God. And then something amazing happened. Cyrus the Great, a Persian king, came to power. And what he did was so amazing, was so miraculous, that prophet Isaiah called him the anointed one. Even though he wasn't even an Israelite. He was Persian. But Cyrus the Great came to power. And in the first year of his power, he not only gave Israel the permission to go back to Jerusalem. He gave him and he restored them all the artifacts that belonged to the temple. And he, he wrote a decree and said, you guys can go back and, re and rebuild the temple. And we're going to help you out. Go. And you have my blessing. The whole kingdom is behind you. And they did. And they were celebrating. And they were happy. And they had all the artifacts. And they got back to the location where the temple was. The temple was, li was lying in ruins. And scripture says that they begin to rebuild it. And they laid the foundation. And when they laid the foundation. 
the people who remembered the temple in the way it was began to weep and to cry out loud. And the young people who had never seen the temple, they began to rejoice. And scripture says that you could not, in Ezra, that you could not discern which shout was for weeping and which, which shout was for rejoicing. Because they were all shouting. And then they stopped. They came into some difficulties. Some, uh, there were critics. There was resistance. They came into some challenging moments during the rebuilding as it happens. When you do anything for God, there's going to be challenges. When you do anything for purpose, there's going to be challenges. When we stand for what God has called you to do, there are going to be challenges. And they were facing challenges. And when they were facing those challenges, they stopped. For 18 years, 18 years from the time that they got the okay from Cyrus the Great until Cyrus the Great was out of power and King Darius came in they did nothing it took Haggai it took prophet Haggai to come in and shake him up out of their complacency Haggai chapter 1 verses 2 and then we're going to read 4 through 6 this is what the scripture said thus says the Lord of hosts these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. You have sown much and have harvested little. You eat, but you, have never, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Wow. What a description. What happened? For 18 years, they laid the foundation and they stopped and they began to worry about their own challenges. They began to worry about their own circumstances. They began to worry about their own progression. Have you been there? Have you started a project, set out to engage in the dream that God placed you in your heart and you, you started something and then all of a sudden you faced some challenges that made you turn inward and paralyzed you. And you begin to worry and worry and worry again and again and again and you couldn't move forward because you got into stuck in that cycle. That's what happened to them. That's what happened to them. On the outside, it looked like they were being responsible. I got to take care of my family. I got to build our house first so we can have the resources to build the house of God. But on the inside, it was fear. On the inside, it wasn't responsibility. It was worry. The first step, I'm going to give you three steps today to rise again. The first step is in this scripture. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. And this is a call to you and I to consider our hearts. Consider our lives. Where do you find yourself? See, in Acts, we, we learn that God does not dwell in temples built by the hand, in houses built by men's hands. He dwells in our hearts. He dwells in our, in our life. So let me ask you this. How's your temple? How's your heart? How's your life? This is a call for us to examine our hearts. Have you come to a point where inadvertently, because most of us, we don't do this intentionally. It's not our intention to stop. 
It's not our intention to disconnect. It's not our intention to turn inward. It's just that life comes at us and we don't realize what happens until it's too late. Have you come to a place where inadvertently, and not even without realizing, you have placed God second? Have you come to a place where you are so involved with yourself that you have no time for anything else or anyone else? This is how you can figure it out. If you feel like you have sown much and you have harvested little. If you feel like you eat, but you're never full. If you feel like you earn your wages, but you do so to put into a bag of holes. In other words, you work and you work and it's never enough. You work and you work and you give your best, but your best is not enough. You can't seem to get ahead. And the more you apply yourself into yourself, the more frustrated you get because you feel like it's just not enough and you can't gain ground then you probably need to consider your ways. That's the first thing we need to do. And we need to be honest with ourselves. Because this is what happened. And this also, for most of us, if you're in this, it's, it's probably no fault of your own. Because we are taught, m- m- many of us are taught to seek the blessings. We are taught to seek the blessings. And I've, actually, I need two guys. I, I want to do an illustration. Two guys. Two guys up here. Many of us are taught to seek the blessing. Sure. Come on, Jeffrey. Run up here, guys. Come on. Thank you. Oh, two Jeffreys. I love it. Come on up, my man. Can you clap for the Jeffreys? Yeah. God bless the Jeffreys. Okay, so you're, you're because, because uh, you're a taller Jeffrey and you, you, you know, you're a family man and all that, you, you, you're going to be God, okay? okay. And then, then you're, going, you're going to be the blessings right here. All right, so you have God and you have the blessings, all right? Same right here, sir. All right, thank you. Many of you, (laughs) I want to give you this visual. Many of you out of, like it's not intentional, but just life and what you've been through, you have been taught to seek the blessings. And you are, you're, you're automatically, what you want to do is seek the blessings. So you stand between God and your blessings. For you to seek the blessings, what happens? You have to turn your back on God and stay right there. And the more you pursue your blessings, look at what happens. The more focused you get on the things, on the stuff. And the further away you you, you get from God. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You follow me, okay? All right. Here's the thing. God has commended the blessing to follow you. The blessing has not been commended to lead. No blessing in your life has received and a direction from God to lead you. Blessings cannot lead you. But what God did do, he commended the blessing to chase you down if you seek him. So when you turn to God, you follow me, okay? This is what happens. Where God goes, you go. But look at the blessing. Look at the blessing. Come on, blessing. Come on, blessing. Yeah. As you chase God, as you look at God, as you see how awesome he is, how beautiful he is, how amazing he is, the blessings have to chase you. The blessings have been, have been commanded to chase you down and overtake you. Thank you, guys. Clap for them. All right. And some of you, this can change your life. If you could just envision this, in your life, this can change you, your life forever because you've been struggling and you've been in that wheel. And you're chasing yourself. You're chasing dreams and passions and blessings. But the more you do it, the less you are able to see God. And I want to ask you this morning to turn. Consider your ways. 
and turn. Turn to God and trust this, that he has commanded the blessings to follow you and overtake you. Haggai continues. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. The second step to rising again. The second thing you need to know once you've considered your ways. The second step to rise again is you have to know that God is with you. God is with you. God is with you. And some of you, you need to let that sink in your heart. Maybe you've had a dream, but you've made little progress. Maybe you, you started something, but you have not much to show for. Maybe you've worked and you worked and you worked, but now it hasn't come to much. And your progress, where you are, looks as nothing in your eyes. What you have accomplished looks as nothing in your eyes. Your present reality looks as nothing in your eyes. What did God say? Now be strong. In the difficulty, be strong. In the circumstance, be strong. Where you are right now, be strong. In the confusion, be strong. When it looks like nothing in your eyes, be strong. Why? Because God is with you. Because He is with you. You need to let this sink in. You need to know that you know that you know. Because some of you, you've been worried for too long. You've been seeing yourself as, as, as little for too long. You've been alone for too long. You felt powerless and insignificant for too long. And you need to know that God is with you. The creator of the universe is looking at you and saying, be strong. Why? Because that's how he sees you. He doesn't see you as a weak worm in the dust. He doesn't see you as powerless. He sees you as strong. And he's calling that strength out of you. Be strong because God is with you. God is with you. See, sometimes we get paralyzed because we want to move forward, but we think, well, for me to move forward, so-and-so needs to be with me. For me to move forward, I need Bank of America with me. For me to move forward, I need some money with me. For me to move forward, I need some customers with me. For me to move forward, I need some partners with me. For me to move forward, I need some investors with me. And we get paralyzed. You can say, well, J.D., I, I'm not a lone ranger. I can't go on my own. That's the point. You are not on your own. God is your primary partner. God is your main investor. He has given you breath. He has given you life. And he's telling you, be strong for I am with you. I am with you. Yes. He's with you. We need to get this in our hearts. God is with us. So before you get the partner, you need to know that he's with you. Before you find your spouse, you need to know that he is with you. Before you receive your healing, you need to know that he is with you. And you need to know that you can rise again, not because of what you will accomplish. You can rise again because he's with you. Because he's the one who can call you to rise again. Amen? Amen. Amen. He is with you.
And I'm going to give you the third step. You have time for one more? All right. The third step to rise again is once you know that God is with you right now. It's when you need to receive peace. You got to receive his shalom. And this is what Haggai says, chapter 2, verse 9. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Listen, that can preach, can it? The latter glory of this house, not another house, of this house. The latter glory of this marriage. The latter glory of this job, the latter glory of this family, the latter glory of this relationship will be greater than the former. And in this house, in this place, God will give peace. It may look like nothing to you. It may look like nothing but rests and and nothing but uh, uh, a destructed building. That's what they were looking at. They were looking at a building that had been torn down. But God was saying, in this place, I will bring peace. Where you are right now, you may look like turmoil. You may feel like nothing but worry and anxiety. But that's where God wants to bring his peace. And the word here, peace, is the word shalom. It's the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom is a, it's a broad and powerful word. It means peace with God, peace with others, and peace with self. It also means welfare. It means health and prosperity. So shalom is the blessing of God in you. And it's peace with God, peace with others, and peace with self. And we are called to walk in God's shalom. Can you say shalom? We are called to walk in God's shalom. When Jesus was about to leave earth, he was about to be crucified. He was about to be killed. This is what he said. This is what he told his disciples. John chapter 14 Uh, Verse 27, it says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives gives it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And I want to teach you a little practical step here to receiving God's shalom. Because some of us, most of us, we face things day by day that are really difficult for us to... uh, um, to face and not get troubled and not get worried. So I want to do a little quick exercise here. It's not the end of the message yet, but I want you to close your eyes if you can. And for just for a moment to be still. And I want to ask you a few questions. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about your life. Envision your life. If you're married, think about your kids and your family and your house. Think about where you are right now. Think about your relationships Think about everything that encompasses your life. Now think about where you'd like to be in one year. Think about where you want to be in one year. Every part of your life. Now think about where you want to be in five years. Stay with your eyes closed. Unless you're listening to the podcast and you're driving, please keep your eyes open. But stay with your eyes closed. Think about where you, want, where you want to be, where you'd like to be in, ten, in five years. Now think about where you'd like to be in 10 years. In 10 years. Where you'd like your life to be. Now look up here. Everybody, look up here. How long did it take for you to get anxious? 
How long did it take for you to get worried about how you're going to make that happen? How are you going to pay those bills? How are you going to get free, debt free? How are you going to solve that situation? How are you going to solve that circumstance? How long did it take for all those questions to flood your mind and flood your heart? You know, here's the thing. Worry steals the glory. Worry steals the glory. And we have to know how to deflect worry and protect our hearts from worry. And this is what protects your heart. Peace guards your heart. Peace protects your heart. This is how you invite the peace of God. I'm going to give you a three-step prayer. Because every time you worry, there's two questions that you ask yourself. Either how am I going to solve this or how is this going to get resolved? It's either how am I going to do this or how is this going to solve? The question is not how. The question is who. When you rely on who, then you can invite the peace of God. So it's a three-step prayer. The first is this. Okay, if you're taking notes. God, I will give my best today. I will give my best today. God, I'm going to embrace today. This means this. You are committed not to pulling the bed covers over your head because you can't think about what you're going to do today or tomorrow or next month. You're going to give your best today. You're going to get out of bed. You're going to do what you need to do. And you're going to take care of business today. God, I will give you my best today. And whatever is coming at you, whatever situation that is influencing you and take, trying to take you down, you name it. You say, God, I place this situation. You name it. You list it out loud. You say, I place this in your hands. I place my future in your hands. I give you this worry. I give you this trouble. Tomorrow is yours. That's the second step. First step, today, God, I will take care of business. I'll do my best today. Second step, Tomorrow is yours. I give you tomorrow. And the third step that you need to vocalize, you need to confess it, you need to say it out loud. God, I trust you. I trust you. If you do those three things, you will begin to feel it constantly. If you're in the car, if you're at home, when the thought comes, you say, God, I'm going to give my best today. You have given me today and you have given me the resources for today and I'm going to do my best today. Tomorrow, I give it to you. And God, I trust you. I trust that you're guiding me. I trust that you're with me. You will begin to see that shalom. You'll begin to receive the shalom of God in your life. This is the way the Apostle Paul put it in Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, look at that. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. You will not always understand how peace will come upon you. But it will. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. Will guard your hearts from worry. Will guard your hearts from anxiety in your minds in Christ Jesus. I was preparing this message this week. And uh, somebody from our team came to mind. I was preparing. I was like, this, this is what Victoria went through. Victoria is our first impressions lead. She's an amazing lady. You can clap for Victoria. Yeah, she's amazing. But when Victoria started attending Connect Community, you know, God wasn't first place in her life. God was a concept. Her relationship with God was not really vibrant. And she believed in God, but God was not her partner and friend. So when she joined the team, she thought she was joining the team to help us. And she did. She, she does help us a lot. But what started happening as she began to serve, as she began to engage with what God is doing, she began to get closer to God. And she began to turn from the blessings to God. And as she began to do that, she started hosting a connect group. 
She started hanging out with people that could build her faith. She faithfully served every Sunday, and she was in connect groups, and she began to put God in first place in her life. And Victoria went from somebody who was battling worry, who was fighting anxiety, who was at the brink of depression, to somebody who now is putting God first and receiving God's shalom in her life. Now, Victoria is, uh, she works in the fashion industry, and I asked her permission to share this, so this is no surprise to her, but she, uh, she works in the fashion industry, and she's really successful at what she does. Now, as she began to get more involved in the church, and she, this whole new life uh, uh, awakened in her heart, that she began to believe that God called her to be someone, you know, God called her to be a woman of God, God called her for something else, and she began to realize that she wanted to apply more of her time. For the ministry and people and connect group and, and her job was taking so many hours and she felt like the expectations. She loved her job, but she felt like the expectations of work is that you have no other life but work. I don't know if you've been there, but uh, most of us, right? There's no other life but work. And she, she, she was in her heart having the feeling like, I, I, I feel like I'm supposed to have a life apart from work. A life where I can devote my heart to God and, and to faith and, and to, so I can become all that God has called me to be. But instead of stressing about it, instead of being anxious about it, instead of dwelling in that, she began to do what I'm asking you to do. She considered her ways. She turned to God, realized that God was with her, and she presented her the, the desires to God. Well, a few weeks ago, she received an offer from a better company with better pay and less work uh, uh, load. And not only that, you can clap for that, but a company that supports her faith journey. And exactly. And now, uh, the last week, this is what Victoria was doing. And you can put up the picture. That's Victoria in Alaska. Does that look like somebody who's worried about starting a new job to you? That, to me, looks somebody, like somebody who's walking in God's shalom, doesn't it? And here's the thing. Her flight back to Connecticut, to Stanford, was this past night. She was on an overnight flight. She landed at 6.30 in the morning. Guess where Victoria is today? She's here, serving, putting God first. Yes. Most of us would be in bed. She recognizes that God is first in her life. And you can clap for her. You guys can come. Yes. Now maybe you feel like today, you feel like the people of Israel. You're stuck in a season that was meant to pass. You're in a situation that came to develop you, but then it turned into something else. It turned into a problem and it began to change the way you saw yourself. Once you saw yourself as someone vibrant with the future, someone who had things to look forward to. Now all you can see is problem. All you can see is the mess. All you can see are the bad circumstances. It took Haggai to come to Israel and shake him off. I'm asking you to be your Haggai today. Consider your ways. And know that God is with you. He is with you to do what it is that you are meant to do. Maybe you have suffered through this season that was meant to pass. Maybe you're in a situation where... The brightest days that you, that you have lived are behind you. I'm going to ask you to shake it off. Shake off the dust. Shake off the shame. 
and know that God is for you. You are not too old. You are not too young. You are not undeveloped. You are a child of the Most High God, and He has called you to do what you have been called to do, and you don't need to know anything else other than He is with you. And if you will turn to Him, if you will turn to Him, you will see that He will give you what you need to rise again. Do you receive it this morning? Why don't you stand with me? Amen.